Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. You know, we all have that friend or that loved one that has walked away from Jesus. How does that make you feel? It's heartbreaking for me, especially when it's a family member. But how do you think it feels to Jesus? And how does he respond to people who walk away? The answer might surprise you. Well, in this four-week-long message series, we've seen that eternal life is a really big deal to Jesus. That's what he's talking about a lot. In fact, in every single one of these encounters that we've been studying, Jesus is talking about the value of eternal life. Remember, Jesus did not come here to do all the miracles that we associate with Jesus. That wasn't his purpose. He didn't come here to do all those healings that we associate with Jesus. That's not his purpose. He did those things, and he taught the way he taught. The the reason he did the healings and the miracles is so that people would believe in him, that they would see what he did, and they would trust him and the message that he was delivering. And his message is that eternal life is for you that God has life for you. In fact, two weeks ago, Jesus really hit the nail on the head in a way that is just central to our faith. In one of our favorite passages, as he's talking to Nicodemus, he says this in John 3, 16. He says, this is how God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life was a big deal to Jesus, and it was a big deal to Jewish people at the time. The Greek word for this is aeonion zoon, zoen, sorry, aeonion zoen. Say it with me, aeonion zoen. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say uh, in our dialect, especially because we're good southern rednecks. (laughs) Aeonion zoen, it's kind of hard to say, but it's a big deal to Jesus, so big of a deal Uh, that we would be able to experience it. Jesus came and he sacrificed himself so that we could experience aeonion zoen. Our mentality on eternal life, on aeonion zoen, is similar but a little bit different from the Jewish mentality, from Jesus's mentality on this. They kind of looked at this in some of the same ways we do, but in some ways a little bit different. They saw Aeonion Zoan to be outside of time. It's eternal life. And what that means is it doesn't, it doesn't work in terms of how many years you'll be there. You know the old song, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun right? So it talks about 10,000 years, maybe hundreds of thousands of years. That's the wrong way to think about aeonion zoen. That's not what eternal life is. When you are experiencing eternal life, you're not experiencing a really, really, really long time. You're experiencing no time. You're outside of time. And so it's a very different idea, and I don't get it. But they understood it this way. They also believed that it was better than this life, that the Aeonion Zoan was not simply a destination. You know, we think of it in terms of when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But they didn't think of it that way. They thought of it as experiencing a life 
that is better than this life. The afterlife is one where now you are living above pain and suffering and heartache and sorrow and disease and filth. They, they saw it as something as better than this life. For them, Aeonion Zoan meant humanity's return to the garden. It meant finally we would return to the garden, to that state of being very good, pleasing to God, where all humans would coexist with other humans and get along where all humans would coexist with all creatures and all get along, where all of it exists in peace and harmony and it all glorifies God. That's how they viewed Aeonion Zoan and that's how Jesus thought about it. And this was his message, that this life is for you. So he invited people into this life. We saw the first week that he invited the disciples to follow me, follow me. Just come join me in this Aeonion Zoan. We saw the second week in Nicodemus, he talked with him about the theology of eternal life. And then last week, we saw how he spoke to the Samaritan woman with a T, uh, that it was all about thirsting for something more, something that this world cannot possibly quench. Jesus is always, he's always pointing to the Aeonion Zoan. In fact, first blank on your page, in order to point people to the kingdom, Jesus always meets people right where they are. He always came right to their level. He always addressed them in terms that they most needed to hear. So we've been looking at how Jesus won people. Man, he always got right to wherever they were. With the theologian, he talked theology. With the Samaritan woman, he talked thirst. And he always wanted to make that door open for Aeonion Zoan. But some people walked away. Some people did not respond to Jesus and his offer of eternal life. How does Jesus deal with people who walk away? Because we know this isn't what he wants. You know, he came here to give his life so that we could experience Aeonion Zoan. It was a really big deal to Jesus. In fact, he talks about the lost sheep and the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he says this in Matthew 18. He says, it's not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. He wants nobody to perish. He wants everybody to get in on Aeonion Zoan. That's the garden state. That's the way he designed it to be. That's what he designed your life for. So how does he respond when people walk away? How do you respond? Do you know what it's like to have a loved one that you've prayed for? that you've begged to come to Jesus, you've shared with them over and over again, you've, you've pleaded with them, just turn your life to Christ, follow him. Yet they say stuff like, I don't believe like you believe. I mean, I was raised in it, but I don't, I, I don't get it. And you've watched them walk away. It's heartbreaking, right? It's heartbreaking. You know what it's, I know what it's like to see a family member, someone you love, just stiff-arm Jesus and walk away. What does that do to your relationship with them? 
How do you talk to them after that? How do you, how do you find common ground if they're dead-on intent to walk in a completely different direction than you've based your life on? And what does that mean for their aeonion? What does it mean for their eternity? Especially when it's your brother or your sister, when it's a son or a daughter. It hurts to see that happen. I, I can't imagine how Jesus himself must feel when someone walks away. So today we're going to do our case study on just that. We're going to look at this person that walks away from Jesus, and we're going to look at how he responds when this person chooses to go the other direction. So we'll pick up the story in Matthew 19. You know this story. It's one of our favorites. Someone came to Jesus with a question. Someone. We know who this someone is. We don't know hardly anything about him, but we know uh, enough about him to know that he had acquired a lot of wealth. He had a lot of money. So we've come to call him the rich, young ruler. Thank you, three people near the front. Thank you, Wes. So we call him the rich. All right, five of you. Got five of you that time. Thank you. So he comes to Jesus with this most basic of questions. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Aeonion, Zoan. He asks him a direct question. And did you ever notice that Jesus doesn't like direct questions? You ever notice Jesus kind of refuses to answer your direct questions? He doesn't deflect, he doesn't change the topic, but what he does is he'll give you an answer that totally turns your question on its ear a little bit, gets you to think a whole different way, and he leverages it for a teaching opportunity. So he asked this basic question, what have I got to do? What have I got to do to have Aeonion Zoan? And so Jesus responds like this, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. Why you got to ask me about what is good? Why are you asking me? There's only one. There's only one who is good. Why are you asking me now? I just want to time out for a second. I know some of our older English translations kind of phrase this a little differently. And they have Jesus asking, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good. They have, the, they have, them, they have them saying that, he called, that the, the guy called him good. And some translations, especially the more modern ones, translate it this way. The ESV, uh, the, uh, the, a bunch of them do. Uh, NLT, uh, HCSB, a bunch of them say, uh, why ask me about what is good? The reason for that is because in the original manuscripts, um, it's kind of a little bit vague what question is being asked here. And uh, the scholars who are using some of the older manuscripts now than in the older English translations, they're using older manuscripts now, and they're saying that this is more accurately the question. So that's why you may have heard it a little bit differently in the past. But Jesus is responding with, why ask me about what is good? Why are you asking me about good? Don't you know what good is? Don't you know what good thing? I mean, you should know the good things. You're a ruler. You should know the difference between good and bad. Don't you know the good things? Why ask me about what is good? Jesus is revealing a problem here, I think. He's showing us that we've got a big problem, that we grade good based on what? 
on what we see everybody else doing. We grade good on, on what we see in this world. And, and I got bad news for you. We live in a broken, fallen system. Is our world broken and fallen? Is our world in agony and pain right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We live in a broken, fallen system, and we come from a broken, fallen system, so the only good we can see is relative good. The best we can hope to do inside this system is to compare our good with the good of the person next to us. Well, I'm better than that guy. You know, I'm better than the dude I saw on the headline this week. I'm better than the corrupt politician. I'm better than the spouse abuser I know. I'm better than the drunk alcoholic. And what we do is we compare to the lowest numbers we can find, and we always come out good. I'm pretty good. I'm not so bad after all. But Jesus is saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why are you asking me about good? You know, you're trying to compare good. There's only one that's good. There's, there's only one that's good. And I got bad news for you, dude. You're not the one. You're not the one. It's not you. I'm sorry. There's only one that's good. In fact, what happens here is next blank on your page, Jesus challenges good. He challenges our whole idea of good. Right? He, he tries to get you to think about it a little bit differently. So, all right, let's try this. My two-and-a-half-year-old grandson loves this book. It's called From Head to Toe by Eric Carle. And it's a great little book. It's a little illustrative book. And the whole idea is it's got, you know, an animal and a person. And in every page, the animal tells the person something they can do. And then the two-year-old reading the book along is supposed to get really encouraged because they can do it too, right? So like on the first page, and here's how we always do it. We always do it together, okay? So I'm just giving you the heads up. Hopefully in a minute, we'll do this together. But I'll read the book with them and, and I'll point to the penguin right here. See the penguin? And the penguin says, I'm a penguin and I can turn my head. Can you do it? And then, ah, oh, yeah, there you go. We've read this book together in the past, haven't we? <laughs> so my, my, my little kid, my little grandson, will, will, will read it. And he'll go, I can do it, right? So yeah, all right, great, you can do it. So it gives, it gives a child a little self-confidence that they can do what the animal's doing. Look at this one. I'm a giraffe, and I can bend my neck. Can you do it? I can do it. All right, good. So some of you are starting to get it. It's fun, isn't it? Let's try this one. Let's all try this one together, okay? So if you're watching online, I hope you'll do it with us also. Because we're all going to do it here in the room. Here we go. I'm a buffalo, and I can raise my shoulders. Can you do it? Okay, now, hold on. I heard most people in the room say they could do it, but I didn't see the shoulders go up at all. All right, so you got it. Let's practice a little buffalo shoulder raise. Just, I know Matt Doss can do it. I know he's got that down. Come on, let me see some buffalo. All right, here we go. Here we go. One more time. I'm a buffalo, and I can raise my shoulders. Can you do it? I can do it. Oh, oh, way to go. Very good. Very good. One more. One more. I'm really, we should do this every Sunday. <laughs> this is my favorite one. 
I'm a monkey and I can wave my arms. Can you do it? Yes, come on, give yourselves a big hand. Wow. You can do it, you can do it, yeah. So we read this book and it gives, it gives Carter a really good self-confidence that he can do whatever the animals are doing. He can be a gorilla and thump his chest, a cat and raise his back. He can do it. And so we love it when he responds back, I can do it. It's just awesome, it's just awesome. And so that's what the rich young man is thinking. He's thinking that there's something that I can do. He's got this real childish mentality that there's something I can do to earn God's smile. There's something I can do to achieve the Aeonion Zoan. I can get there. I can do it. That's what he's thinking right now as he's talking to Jesus. But Jesus challenges his thought about this. There's only one that's good. And you're not the one. In fact, Jesus challenges it so much. We see him talking in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He talks about how good you really are. Let's really contrast your good. Okay, so instead of comparing it to your neighbor, instead of comparing it to the headlines, let's compare it to the one who is good. So he says, you've heard it said that you are not to murder. But the one who is good says, if you call someone an idiot, you're guilty of murder. What? I'm a murderer because I was merging onto 515? Uh-huh. He says, he says, you know, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but if you've even, I say, the good one says, if you've even looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you are an adulterer. So much for I can do it. Because what he's showing us is that all of the things you're trying to achieve, all the commandments you're trying to obey, you can't do it. You can't do it. So who is really good? There's only one that's really good. So after, after setting this idea in the rich young ruler's head, Jesus goes ahead and answers his question from a different perspective. He says this in verse 17. He says, to answer your question, if you want to receive the aeonion zoin, then keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. Keep them. Now, Steve just told you you can't. <laughs> but just keep them. That's all you got to do is keep the commandments. And so this guy goes, oh, that shouldn't be a problem. I'm pretty good at commandments. So he asked the natural question, which ones? Which ones should I keep in verse 18? Which ones? I mean, I've achieved a lot here. I've accumulated a lot. I've risen to a high level, and I've only got one more box I got to check. I got the house, got the car. I drive the biggest truck on my block. Uh, man, I got the family of 3.5 kids. You know, I got, I got all the stuff I want. The only thing left is the Aeonion Zoan. I got to check that box too. So which one? Let's get specific. Which one should I make sure to obey? And so Jesus says something really interesting here. He doesn't give the answer that you and I would expect. And I think there's a reason for it. Look at what Jesus says. He says, here they are. 
You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is fascinating to me that Jesus says this. Do you notice what he's doing here? If you ever read Exodus 20 and see the Ten Commandments, you ought to recognize right away that Jesus is leading this guy right down the path. Because what he quotes here is the back half of the Ten Commandments. It's the back half, not the front half. So he's showing them the back end of it, the, not the ones that come first, the ones that come last. Why is he going to those and not the first ones? Well, look at them. Don't murder, don't cheat on your spouse, don't steal. I mean, these are, think about it. These are the ones that everybody in a decent society agrees are important. Everybody thinks these are the ones you ought to keep. In other words, you don't have to be a genius to keep these. You don't even have to be a Christian to keep these. Most non-Christians you know keep these commandments, at least to the best that they can, they want to live a life that looks like this. These are the ones, here's why Jesus shows them, these are the ones that most people think they have covered. They do these and they fool themselves into thinking that they have the aeonion zoen. But they've deceived themselves because they're comparing their good against the guy next to them. But scripture is clear. The truth is that everyone has sinned and we all fall short of, of God's glorious standard. His one good standard of good. And Jesus, uh, sorry, Paul says in Romans 2, 29, that a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision, in other words, truly coming into uh, the family of God is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's something that's happened in here. It's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. It's not about how good you think you are. It's about has he changed you or not. It's not about you fooling yourself to think that you're good because you've managed the back half. So my question for you is next blank on your page is this, am I a back half Christian? Am I just a back half Christian? Because this guy was. He was exactly like you and me. He's maintained at the lowest level of obedience that he can and he's fooled himself into thinking that he's good. He's fooled himself into thinking that he's got the aeonion zoan and he walked away. Maybe you and I are a lot closer to walking away than we realize. Or honestly, maybe we don't have to walk away because we're not really following him in the first place. We've just deceived ourselves. So he had checked the box. In fact, here's what he says. He says, I've obeyed all these commandments. So what else must I do? I, I hear that you're talking about something more, Jesus. So what else have I got to do? I've, I've done all that back half. I got it. I got it. And that's when Jesus punches him in the face with Scripture. 
Jesus brings it all to full circle and he says you want to be perfect go sell all your possessions give all that money to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven then come and follow me now Jesus points not to the back half but to the front half of the commandments what do the first two commandments say here's what they say you shall have no other gods before me and you shall have no idols nothing else nothing that you love more than me you want to follow me you got to love me first you got to love me the most what does Jesus say he says it like this if you're going to follow me you must deny yourself take up your cross and follow me Right? He also says that if you're going to follow me, then you must love me so much that by comparison, you hate everything else. By comparison, you hate your mom and your dad and your kids. Maybe not your grandkids, um, but you got to hate, <laughs> hate everything else in comparison to how much you love me. This doesn't sit well with American Christians. Give up everything and follow me. And this guy, look at his response. Didn't sit well with him either. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. This guy went immediately from, I can do it, to I could never do that. And he walked away. He conducted a quick cost-benefit analysis and he gave up on Jesus immediately. He dropped the whole idea of the Aeonion Zoan because it wasn't worth the cost. He had too much to give up. And in case you're wondering, he's not the only one in Scripture to do this, right? I mean, there's plenty of other examples that we have. We got two back-to-back in Matthew 8, uh, Jesus is done teaching and they're about to get in the boat and go across the lake and one of the teachers of the religious law said to him teacher I will follow you wherever you go and Jesus goes okay he says foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests but the son of man has no place even to lay his head now you're going to follow Right after that, another of his disciples said, Lord, I want to follow you, but first let me return home and bury my father. It's pretty important. Funeral for dad, big deal. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. There's one day when Jesus had been teaching the crowd and his teachings got really hard, like this one. They got really, really so hard, and a, and a big crowd had assembled, but man, his teaching was tough, so he finished with his sermons, and people were like, dude, I'm out. And a lot of people, a lot of people walked away from Jesus. So many people left that Jesus turned to his disciples and said, are you going to leave also? Man, people walked away from Jesus because I believe most people wanted Jesus the problem is they want him on their own terms. They want the happy, nice, beautiful, peaceful sayings of Jesus, 
but they don't want the hard teachings of Jesus. They want the healings and the miracles, but dude, they don't want to deny yourself and take up your cross. They want Jesus, but they want him on their own terms. And next blank on your page, Jesus doesn't do my terms. Jesus doesn't do my terms. So what happens? How does Jesus respond and others walk away? Well, I can tell you how he doesn't respond. He doesn't roam around the countryside crying and sobbing, oh, if they had just followed me, I just, oh, I wanted them so bad. You don't, you don't see him moping around and crying. You, you, don't, you don't see Jesus chasing after them. Oh, please, please just give me one more chance, one more chance, I promise. I'll say something you like. I'll give you a cookie. You, you, don't, you don't see him chasing people down. And you never see Jesus negotiating terms. You never see him negotiating terms. I hear it all the time from people. Well, God and me, we have a deal going on. No, you don't. No, you don't. Jesus never negotiates terms. Think about it. Where in the scripture do you see Jesus saying, okay, because it's you, I really want you so bad, but for you, here's the deal I'll work. You can keep your anger issues if you just follow, just follow me. Just follow me, but you can, you can keep your, does that, is that what Jesus says? Okay, 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 I tell you what, I tell you what, because it's you. <laughs> you can hang on to your porn addiction. Just, if you just read your Bible to offset, you know, just offset. I'll be okay with that. You will too, right? Is that what Jesus does? Or how about this? You know, I gave up my all for you, but you don't, you don't have to give, and you don't have to serve. Just, just, just come hold my hand once a week, and we'll sing a song together. Or does he, he's like, okay, okay, you know, you don't have to ever spend time in the Word and listening. To, you don't ever have to be with me, but I'll always be here for you. Jesus never negotiates terms. Listen, that's not Jesus at all. Stop fooling yourself. I'm going to read this verse that I alluded to earlier, Luke 9. Jesus says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own wallet, give up your truck, give up your house, give up your girlfriend, give up whatever I point to. Stop fooling yourself and thinking we got some kind of deal. Jesus doesn't do my terms. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your wallet, you're just going to lose it. Mike Ivester said just this morning, never seen a Brinks truck following a hearse. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Jesus doesn't negotiate terms. So what does he say? What does he say? He, he doesn't cry about it. He doesn't chase after. And he doesn't negotiate terms. The guy walks away. And then what does Jesus say in Matthew 19? 
Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, you, you know this passage, we love this. It's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter kingdom of God. Did you hear that? Camel needle. Can a camel, is it possible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? Hello? Okay. Let me bring it down to 21st century LJ. In my house, we have Yorkies. Little bitty Yorkies, tiny, tiny Yorkies. Do you think I could take a needle and shove that Yorkie, the little tiny Yorkie through the eye of a needle? Is it possible? In any way, is it possible? Well, with a blender. And it's, yeah. I love my Yorkies. I would never do that. We also have a cat. Now, there is an option. <laughs> you know it's true. <laughs> Okay, I live in Kusawati. The Kusawati deer are really scrawny. Do you think we could just shove work Kusawati deer through that? What is Jesus telling us here? Ain't happening, dude. It is impossible for a rich person, someone who loves something other than Jesus, to go through the eye of that needle into the Aonion Zoan. Impossible. He says this, and the disciples get it. Now, they're not known for always getting it right away, but here they get it. They hear what Jesus is saying. They've just watched all this go on, and they are rattled by this. And their response after this is, they say this, who in the world can be saved? I mean, we all have this problem. We all love the wrong things. All of us are broken by sin, and we have all started off asking the same wrong question that this guy was asking. What must I do? How good do I need to be? So if, if he can't be saved, who can be saved? We Americans are the rich young ruler. I don't care how small of a house you live in. I don't care how old of a vehicle you drive. If you drove here today, you are among the top 5% of the richest people on the planet. Who can be saved? And Jesus' response is direct. He says, humanly speaking, it's camel and needle. It's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Humanly speaking, you can't do it ever. You are in 
incapable. You will never match up to God's standard of good. That's how bad of a grip sin hands has on us. We're all separated from God and we're all under God's judgment because of the sin that we are born into. We are not good and there is no aeonion zoan in store for us. But all that is why Jesus came here. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the one that is good. No sin in him at all. Zero sin. Absolutely perfect. Absolutely blameless. And on the cross, he sacrificed his life. He died there and his death bought Aeonion Zoen for you and for me. That's what he did on the cross. That's why in Romans it says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, is Aeonion Zoen in Christ Jesus. Boy, that's, that's very different from the mentality that this guy had. He had an I can do it mentality. But God shows him something different right here in Jesus. In Romans 3, it says this, can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? I can do it, I can do it. Can we boast that we can do it? No, he says no, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's not law, it's not achieving one more good thing. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. That is a description of grace. Because God is good and we are not. And we deserve swift and severe punishment. But God has given us the grace to show us Jesus. And when we see him and we realize how good this gift is that he has for us and we're willing to drop everything else for him, we can receive that grace by faith, by trusting in him and believing in the work that he did on the cross that we can be saved and we can experience the aeonion zoan. For it is by grace that you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's a gift from God it's not by works so no one can boast the right question isn't what must I do rich young ruler last blank on your page the right question is what has he done what has he done he alone makes it possible for us to experience the aeonion Zoan. Stop walking away. Stop conducting a cost-benefit analysis. Trust him. Give him your life. Say, I'm yours, Lord. Hold up your wallet and say, this is yours, not mine. Hold up your car keys. This is yours, not mine. Point at your business. This is all yours, God, not mine. It's not going to be something I try to hold on to and build. It's going to be yours for your glory. I'm going to deny my own way and follow you because it's not about it's not about what you can build it's about what he's already done